Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back, everyone, to Patriot Coalition Live. I'm Jason Morocek. Thanks for joining us today. Our goal on this podcast is to create a timeless resource to teach about the U.S. Constitution and the proper role of government, the importance of America's Judeo-Christian heritage, and how to defend against threats to our republic. But before we get into today's episode and today's topic, I want to talk to you about something that you can do today to begin rooting out one of the major sources of corruption in America. This source of corruption is what we will call the three-headed beast, which is mainstream media, big tech, and big business. These mega corporations are actively undermining our liberties through censorship, canceling, and destroying livelihoods because they don't like dissent. And they don't like people who share truths which threaten their power. Earlier this year, Google, Apple, Amazon Web Services, among others, canceled Parler or stopped giving access to Parler. Social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter regularly suspend accounts when they don't like their posts. So why continue to send your money to Amazon.com when they are canceling and censoring those who stand up for liberty, when you can spend your hard-earned money with freedom-loving companies who share your values and your principles? A company like conservativeeconomy.com. Now, conservativeeconomy.com has tons of companies to shop from with over 3,400 categories of products, 3,400, with more being added every week. So chances are you're going to find what you're looking for at conservativeeconomy.com. If you shop at a business that you love and you think that business would be a great fit at conservativeeconomy.com, go to our contact page and let us know. If you own a business, go to sell here link on conservativeeconomy.com and tell us about your business. Again, that website is conservativeeconomy.com. Please check us out today. Okay, so let's get into today's episode. Uh, The title of today's episode is Article 1, Section 8, limited powers of Congress. And this is part seven. As a review, Article 1 is all about Congress. So Article 1, Section 8 specifically describes the limited powers of Congress. And today we are talking about Article 1, Section 8, Clause 18, the last clause of this section. Now, if you've been with us uh, over the last uh, couple months, uh, you know we've spent quite a bit of time on this topic, you know, seven parts so far, and we probably still have a couple to go. Uh, So remember, and the reason is because this, you know, the temporary loan of power, the loan of authority that we the people give to Congress to create laws that we all must then live by is one of the most sacred authorities we can entrust to them, meaning our government. Therefore, the part of the Constitution where we define those powers must be one of the most important sections in this brilliant document. Today, we are talking about really one of the most abused clauses in one of the most abused sections in the entire constitution. So let's get into it. So article one, section eight, clause 18 says this, quote, the Congress shall have power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this constitution in the government of the United States 
or in any department or officer thereof. Okay, gang. So this is the infamous necessary and proper clause that is used to invoke essentially unlimited power by the enemies of liberty. Uh, and I say that because this is what they feel like is their avenue and their loophole to essentially make laws about anything that they think are necessary and proper. But as you'll see, it does not grant any new authority to Congress. This clause is merely a declaration of intent that should be obvious, but the framers were still concerned that opponents of the Constitution would try to deny Congress the authority to pass laws using frivolous objections about you know, specific laws not being authorized. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's, let's look at a few examples. So if you've been with us for a, a few weeks, uh, you'll remember some of the enumerated powers we've talked about. Uh, one of them is collecting taxes. Congress may collect taxes, but the Constitution does not say that tax collectors are to be paid or that Congress may pass a law authorizing the payment of tax collectors. It doesn't specifically say that, right? Another example, Congress may establish post offices, but it doesn't say that they can pass laws to pay for picks, shovels, or workers to actually build the post offices or uh, build the post roads that lead to the, between the post offices. It doesn't actually specifically say that. Well, another example, Congress may punish piracy, but it doesn't say that they may pay agents of the central government to pursue the pirates in order to incarcerate them or to punish them in any way. All of these things uh, are powers that are necessary and proper to carry into execution the powers that are specifically enumerated. So in, uh, in Federalist 33, one of the essays that uh, Alexander Hamilton wrote, he penned one of the most sarcastic and condescending political essays. I say condescending. Uh, these two things I say in, in a good way in this sense. Um, it, it's like a blind, what I call blinding flash of the obvious. Anyways, he, he penned one of the most sarcastic and condescending political essays that I've probably read in the founding era. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase it first, then we're going to talk about it. So paraphrasing, he said, this necessary and proper clause is a self-evident truth. And he kind of broke down um, almost like a, not a dissertation, but a proof, proof, right? He said, power is essentially the, ab the ability to do a thing, whatever that thing is. And to do a thing means that you have to employ the means necessary for its execution, whatever that thing is. Article 1, Section 1, at the very beginning of the Constitution, says all legislative powers shall be vested in Congress. Okay, well, legislative power means the power of making laws. So if the Constitution grants to Congress the power to collect taxes, for example, in a legislative body, well, that means that they're supposed to make laws to collect taxes. Proper, in this sense, means to execute that power and make necessary and proper laws. So <laughs> he's essentially saying, well, yeah, if we're giving Congress the ability to uh, make all laws, and then we're telling them specific things that they can do, well, of course they can make laws in order to do those things. To, to him and many of the founders, this was a blinding flash of the obvious. But again, as I said, they were concerned that opponents of the Constitution, remember, they still, they wrote the Constitution during the convention, but they still had to get all the states, or at least, you know, nine of the states to ratify it. And they were afraid that people would uh, say, no, you can't do those things. And so, uh, and they would use that as a reason to um, uh, disapprove the Constitution. Uh, 
So here, here's one of the quotes from Federalist 33, I, I think that kind of encapsulates <laughs> um, Hamilton's disdain for the people who are attacking this necessary and proper clause. He says, the necessary and proper clause conducts us to this palpable truth that a power to lay and collect taxes must be a power to pass all laws necessary and proper for the execution of that power. And what does the necessary and proper clause do more than declare the same truth to wit, that the national legislature to whom the power of laying and collecting taxes had been previously given might, in the execution of that power, pass all laws necessary and proper to carry it into effect. <laughs> so essentially saying, this is a no-duh statement. Okay, so uh, I mentioned that the framers were concerned that opponents of the Constitution would try to deny Congress the authority to pass laws using frivolous objections about specific laws not being authorized. Well, we've come full circle, not full circle, we've, we've switched the other direction. Today, the opposite is true, where Congress tries to grant more powers to Congress through this clause. So let's discuss really quick what this clause does, does not do, right? It does not grant any new powers. Again, I, let, let me, you know, I'll read that here in a second. But what, what the Necessary and Proper Clause does, it doesn't grant any new powers. Any bill Congress passes must still be within the authority of the central government as enumerated in the Constitution. It doesn't, it doesn't expand the guardrails, so to speak. It doesn't say, oh, and they can also do extra stuff. No, they still have the same authority. It just gives them the, the, the power to make laws to carry those things into execution. Now, today, the enemies of liberty will just cite the phrase necessary and proper, hoping that you don't know about the vested by this Constitution part. So let, let me read the, uh, the clause again. The Congress shall have power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper for carrying into execution the foregoing powers and all other powers vested by this Constitution, again, and all other powers vested by this constitution in the government of the United States or in any department or officer thereof. So it is limiting the laws to only those powers that are vested by the constitution, nothing more. So in order for Congress to legislate on something, that power has to be in the constitution. It has to have been granted, right? So Again, that the enemies of liberty, they're hoping that you just know you've heard the phrase necessary and proper, and then they'll kind of, um, con uh, they'll, they'll take the necessary and proper and they'll say, well, then there's this general welfare thing. If, as long as it's in the general welfare and we find it necessary and proper, we can pass a law on it. And so you can kind of see how those two things together, uh, if, if, we the people are not educated on what the constitution says and what the intent of it was at the time of its, uh, of its writing. They're just hoping that they can kind of hoodwink everybody into thinking, yeah, they can do kind of whatever they want. But again, it says vested by this constitution. That's a key part. Okay, so that, that just about sums it up. Um, but, but really quick, we'll, we'll summarize. Clause 18, the necessary and proper clause, it ranks right up there with the general welfare and commerce clauses as one of the most abused and misused clauses of the constitution. 
In fact, I would say that these clauses together, the general welfare, the commerce, and the necessary and proper clause are probably responsible for more loss of liberty by Americans than the rest of the Constitution combined. And in a future episode, I'll demonstrate to you through actual bills passed in Congress why I've come to this conclusion. And I think you'll agree. So hopefully that, uh, that makes sense for you and you've learned something today. Uh, if you'd like to support us at Patriot Coalition Live, please go to patriotcoalitionlive.com slash support. Your support is a big help to us. If you are not already a regular subscriber, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts at places like iHeartRadio and Spotify. You can also find uh, our videos on rumble.com. So thanks again, everyone, and we'll see you here next time. Take care. Mm -hmm.